you know, the uh, review board wants to have you up for psychiatric reevaluation. Oh, come on. Well, what do you expect after your little wig out last month? But there's a bright side to this and a moral. I think morals are good for you. I love morals. And the moral of this story is, if you're walking on eggs, don't hop. That's it. Welcome to the Odd Job Pod, action movie landfill edition. If you're unfamiliar with the landfill, it's an imaginary expanse of discarded VHS copies of some of the classic action films from what we describe as the sell-through era, that just about definable period from the early 80s to the mid-2000s where media was hard and media was cheap. Yes, we're talking about the golden age of Blockbuster, HMV, WH Smiths, Virgin Megastores, That's Entertainment, 101 Records in Croydon, and other bounteous emporia teeming with video cassettes and DVDs of affordable action movies. The Action Movie Landfill celebrates this era by selecting an action film made during this time, or perhaps a little before, or perhaps a little after, and subjecting it to the odd job pod treatment. And the movie that we have plucked out of the landfill for this episode is the 1983 helicopter classic conspiracy theory, Blue Thunder. And in the time-honoured tradition of a podcast series that is only into its third episode, we're rotating the hosting duties, which means that I, Terry LeFelon, bear the awesome responsibility of introducing the panel. I am delighted to welcome ever-present panellist, complete with hot mince pies under both arms, Graham Sibley. Welcome, Graham. Hello, Terry. And welcome also, Odd Job Pod presenter, a man who, when Blue Thunder first came out, was so young that his idea of a good time was sitting in front of the TV tube, watching Bugs Bunny and gnawing on his fascicle. It's Gary Andrews. Welcome, Gary. Thank you, Terry. I was probably doing it naked as well at that point in time as well. And thank you for that image. We're all treasure that one in, 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 in the minutes and hours to come. I'm also thrilled to welcome a guest, a special guest. Special because he's a special guy, special also because he's really our first official guest. And we've had people wandering off the streets of this podcast before, but we've not deliberately asked someone to join us here as our guest. And that man is a man who knows when to answer his f***ing beeper and was so keen to talk about this film that he offered up a bull that pissed Jack Daniels as a rider. Now, sadly, we're all single malt men, but so we did him on the podcast anyway. It's John Hartley. Hello, John, and welcome. Hi, Terry. Great to be here. And uh, if I'd remembered, I would have worn my Jaffo hat. <laughs> we should have got him a Jaffo hat. Maybe that's what we should do for all our guests. But uh, yeah, we might have some trouble with the postage fees. Who knows? Let's start with you, John, because you're the guest. And I'm going to start well, by asking you, why did you choose this film? Well, because you, A, you asked me to, <laughs> but I did agree. I did agree. And I was very, very enthusiastic about it. And because for me, this film, it's nostalgia. It really is nostalgia of my, of my youth because 
I grew up around helicopters. I grew up around military aircraft. I, you know, I grew up in a helicopter town, the town of Yeovil, where they build these things. And in fact, the British version of the Gazelle helicopter used in Blue Thunder was also built in Yeovil. Uh, so that sound, that sound of the engines, I'm very familiar um, of the of this sound. Uh, so uh, to me, it's full nostalgia. Um, it was great to be able to watch the film again. And uh, yeah, even if I get to see it in a different light these days. Hmm. Yeah, we will, we'll talk about the different light to this movie uh, shortly. Uh, I'll come to you next, Gary, because you'd never heard of this film when I suggested it. So well, perhaps you could give us an indication as to your emotions and feelings uh, at, at, at this moment. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it first experience for me of Blue Thunder, and I can see why it uh, probably has some form of, of cult classic following, and I can also see why it spawns TV series. Um, I think one of the best uh, comments that I have comes from my wife, who kind of came into the room about 20 minutes in, and I just kind of paused oh, so we could have a chat. No. Not at that <laughs> scene, Jason. Not at that scene. But she she took one look at it and just went, oh, God, this looks crap, and then walks out the room. Um, but actually, I have to say that I I started it going, this is amazingly 80s. Um, and, you know, I was mentally ticking off tropes as, as I went through. And by the end, I was just like, holy fucking crap, they're racing, they've got a helicopter fight in L.A. This is amazing. Um, so I think I went on a veritable roller coaster of emotions, uh, having literally no idea what to expect. So I, I did no research whatsoever before this one. I mean, you know, obviously that's probably relatively similar to, to what I do elsewhere. But um, this one, I just went in completely cold so I could experience it as a modern audience for the first time. Um, and I'm sure there will be an awful lot that, that modern audiences would not like about this film. But on the other hand, helicopters, helicopter duels in L.A., I mean, you say that and everybody go, yeah, I can get I can get down with that. Gwen, this movie feels like it's a bit of a template film for me. This film was very influential. It was very successful. Um, I think it was an unexpected success, but it was for all that a most successful film um, and critically acclaimed for its time. And it feels like it was a bit of a it's a bit of a cookie cutter. Do you think that's fair? Do you think that that this is that the other people who looked at that said, hmm, I'd like to make an action film a bit like that? I I think maybe the term cookie cutter is a bit um, harsh because I think that makes it sound like it's just taking pieces from other films that have gone before it. And and yeah, there's there's nothing essentially new in the storytelling here. Um, it's basically. Uh, a modern day western in really really technologically advanced helicopters um yeah okay it is it is basically a a, a grounded sci-fi movie i suppose it, it has to tell you that it's not sci-fi in the opening seat in the opening scene a little little computer screen comes on and says everything in this is 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 possible it's it, this is real and well we all know it's not real but um but hey it you know we didn't have the internet back then and so everyone can just buy that 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 crap can't they because uh, you know yes there there is a, such a thing as thermal imaging and pointable microphones that can pick up really really good signals through through walls and let me tell you it's 2023 and i'm like six inches away from my microphone and it's still crap 
Um, but yeah, still, still, still. I mean, we lapped that up in the 80s. Um, so I, I think there is lots of stuff in here. It is, it, it sort of rides the wave of those techno thrillers that were coming out in the 70s. And, and it, it, it begins that. Comes out that same sort of time as Firefox. So it would have probably come out before Firefox, but it was delayed, obviously, because uh, one of the, the, the main, the leading characters in it uh, sadly died during production. So made in 1981. But it doesn't feel like it's 40 years old, this film. Oh, well, it, it does in certain respects, but uh, we'll come to that later, I'm sure. Yeah, cookie cutter in that maybe people have come here and cherry-picked bits of this film in far more famous and far more successful films, I, I would add. Um, and, and I hope we're going to mention the names, maybe Robocop uh, later on in this discussion, maybe even Running Man. Um, but there is there are certainly things in here that that uh, fit into that techno thriller, especially action films, uh, all, all the way throughout the eighties and nineties, and, and going up to well, even quite modern times as well. Yeah, John Graham uh, talks about uh, the, the the fact that it had to have a, a, a disclaimer to say you are not watching sci-fi. But I mean, I, I I think, and maybe I'm doing the film too much of a of, of a good service, but. I felt that certainly the opening, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so, um, the film felt, did feel like a sci-fi film. I felt like I was watching a sort of dystopian fiction, futuristic dystopian fiction, not, not, not anything to do with the, the with the blue thunder, the, the helicopter, just the whole, the whole idea of the sort of like policemen flying around in helicopters, peeking through windows you know, helping to catch perps and, and looking down on the the awfulness that is that is L.A. at that point. And, and, and for me, I felt as though I was actually watching, you know, one of those gritty techno science fiction films, maybe from the 1970s, which I can never remember the name of, but 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 is ingrained on my memory. I don't know if that's something that that, that you felt. Well, I think that also the the moment you see Malcolm McDowell as well, <laughs> you know, we were talking techno thriller, we're talking uh, uh, Clockwork Orange, it, you know, he has that sort of feel to him as well. But I, I totally get what you mean with that. But I don't necessarily always look at it in the techno thriller aspect. I mean, there was a lot of tension at that time. There, there's, there was talk of, of when uh, when Murphy and Lyman could go down in the helicopter uh, in the in the sort of normal helicopter. Oh, they've just landed in the Watts area. You know, the, the Watts riots were, what, 1965, around that time. There was a lot of tension. There, it, you know, all through the, the film, there was the whole idea of, uh, you know, urban violence, uh, racial tensions. So it was very much of its time, but also being brought out through this sort of techno thriller uh, feeling about it. So it had both. So, yes, part sci-fi, part, you know, r real gritty L.A. at that moment. Well, yeah, uh, what I would say is the uh, is there is obviously as well the feeling of L.A. noir about this. And the cinematographer on on this film uh, was uh, John A. Alonso, who was also the cinematographer on Chinatown. So maybe there is that sort of grittiness there as well. Sort of so just a few few years before. But obviously with that sort of like gritty LA, not, not the sort of 
uh, maybe sort of like just ba- basically Beverly Hills, Sunset and Vine, L.A. that you get in, say, films like L.A. Story and stuff like that. So that may that may have some, some something to do there. But yeah, 70s grit. You can't get more gritty 70s than, than Chinatown, can you? And I was going to say as well, I think there's a there's a bookend, really. Or, or not bookend. So this film to me is a little bit in came across as a median of between the French Connection, uh, which obviously Rochida also was in, and Enemy of the State with Will Smith and obviously Gene Hackman were coming back into French Connection there. And it's got elements of both because French Connection is 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 very gritty and it just kind of shows a side of a city. It, it's completely unglamorous. And yeah. this film is not remotely glamorous at all, despite the fact it's got a, a technologically advanced helicopter uh, as one of the main protagonists in it. On the other hand, you've then got that, that spy um, sort of conspiracy surveillance film enemy of the state with with will smith and gene hackman and i think it was uh 98 jerry bruckheimer um obviously producing that one tony scott and it, there's elements of both and i think if you kind of said well you put the french connection and enemy of the state together and try to meld it into a bit of a feel of a film you'd probably think it would be a bit of a dog's breakfast but this this pulls it off and i think it's because of the era that it's in it's just about starting to see what's going to come around the corner. But at the same point, it still has that really, yeah, that scuzziness of great 70s films. Yeah, it feels like a a, 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 a 70s film to me. Uh, it is on that cusp because we are moving into an era of the big action movie, the big 80s action movie. We're about to see a whole slew of these movies coming out. And I think that this is, this is sort of like sat nicely in between there. It's got that kind of seventies conspiracy. Isn't the America, isn't the U S state absolutely awful, you know, going on there. And, and, and we're coming out of that. We we will get out of that, you know, when we move into the eighties and, and see that just a quick note on John, John A. Alonso, um, Around that time, yeah, Chinatown, obviously, as Graham uh, quite rightly points out, Close Encounters is John A. Alonso as well. Um, and more contemporary Scarface in the same year he did that. And a personal favourite of mine, which is not a very good film, but I enjoy it, is a Tom Selleck Runaway in 1984. And indeed Star Trek Generations. And as someone who is one of the few apologists for that movie, I'm delighted to see that because it is, uh, despite its many faults, a beautifully shot film. All right then. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll let's stay at the, the sort of like in the opening first reel of this movie for a little while longer, shall we, chat? Because it'll give us perhaps an opportunity to talk about some maybe the characters, the actors, um, and maybe some of the more uh, troublesome aspects of it. I'd also like to reflect on the script because I think the script. I love the script. It's dynamite. I love the dialogue. It's absolutely dynamite. But let us let us jump into our helicopters and pay a visit to Encino and discuss um, and discuss this. Um, my feeling is is that both both Frank Murphy and Richard Lymangood are incredibly likable characters in their own way. I think I think um, that they're clearly set up for us to like them, and yet <laughs> they do appear to be a massive perverts. <laughs> um, and worse, also, and 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 they are, you know, they are voyeurs and people who abuse their their authority. I mean, they're just this is just awful traits in people. Um, I would put it to you, and let, where am I going? I'll go to Gary with this. Well, they, we don't, they don't make characters like this anymore, Gary. And, and is that a is that a good thing? They certainly don't. Um, is it a good thing? Um, 
In the context of, is it good thing that you have don't have characters who are policemen um, who are basically spending their downtime listening into their colleagues having sex and um, spying uh, on a naked woman doing yoga uh, and slightly violating her rights. Um, that's probably a good thing. Although the one thing that really stuck with me was actually that probably feels quite authentic in a way because it feels like the type of thing that actually the police probably would have done in the 1980s given a helicopter and knowing that there was a woman doing naked yoga in Encina at 10 30 every day it's it's entirely believable it's absolutely the type of thing that I think the police would do so actually weirdly it gave me a bit of realism um although in a very I watched it and I was like oh that's uh, having not seen the film before, okay that's very 80s, very kind of almost a weird element of porkies coming into this film, which um, is probably not necessarily the best thing you can have. But as, as a character, yeah, I'm, I think there's some, some interesting elements. And I think you do still, you know, the, the kind of flawed um, hero is, is always been a trope. It still kind of sits uh, very much within today's um today's kind of action films you know marvel spends a whole lot of time exploring it but yeah they wouldn't go to the point of this person crosses the line in terms of just being doing something which which today would probably get them locked up or or on the front page of the newspaper or or something like that so it's a kind of odd balance is it a good thing i'd certainly like to see a little bit more kind of realism and humanity in some films. I don't think you get that in blockbusters. You definitely get that slightly more in the kind of indie and art house space, which is where I think, you know, if this was, if this film had been made today in a kind of lower budget, I think you would have probably had it in there. If it was made as a blockbuster, absolutely not. Um, Would it have made the film worse? Yeah, I think it probably would have done. You can see the flaws all the way through um, of the characters. And yes, it does make them feel a bit more human. At times, you're not entirely comfortable with what you're watching. But then there's a lot of people and a lot of people who we thought were good guys in the 80s who turned out not to be such nice people or or at least have probably filled the back books of Operation Yewtree. So, um, you know, that's something that, that... that is very realistic. Um, so yeah, com- conflicted because those those couple of scenes where they're just doing spying is, are not pleasant to watch in a modern era. But at the same point, it, it enhances and you know who the characters are. And I think if you're looking at it in terms of a, a well-written taught script and well-written character development, it does a job really, really well. It actually really makes you feel like these are, are three-dimensional characters rather than just a, a fairly standard, easily written action hero. John, do you think the movie is trying to tell us that these are bad people or these are aspects that these, this is not behaviour that is to be encouraged, this is wrong and, and, and immoral? Or do you, do you I, I am not convinced that the movie is trying to tell me this. I'm not convinced either. Um, first of all, because I think it's, when we talk about traits, it's a John Badham trait. I mean, he did stakeout shortly afterwards where they sat there for the almost the whole movie looking through somebody's window so you know it, cops looking through windows is a bit of a john badham trait uh, i'm just gonna say that but when it comes to the characters themselves though when you've got lyman good and you've got murphy 
so Lyman Good is the, you know, he's the new guy. He's the young lad and he's really enjoying it. Oh, my God, how great she looks. And, uh, you know, when they're the, the diner, um, you know, zooming in on the uh, on the on the breasts of the waitress or the or, or the uh, prostitute who's trying to sell her services, uh, you know, he's getting all excitement, uh, excited. But Murphy is cold. I mean, he's not excited by this at all. He's just like, oh, if you want to see it, I'll show you. But, you know, I'm only doing it because you, you want to. I, I'm not really that bothered. And, you know, it's that that whole thing of, do you reckon that she, she can hear us or see us? You've only got to look out the window. And, you know, he's just not bothered. He's, he's now so cold to the whole thing that it's, no, it's not exciting. It's not depressing. It's, it's not anything. He's just... He's he's got other things on his mind. Yeah, go ahead. Murphy is. Uh, I mean, I I like. I mean, I, I I like Murphy, but I think I like Murphy because I really like Roy Scheider, and I know you like Roy Scheider as well, Graham, because of one of your favourite movies. Unless you've changed your mind over the years, one of your favourite movies is Jaws, uh, and and so he's uh, and Roy Scheider tends to play the same guy. Let's be honest with you, you know, in whatever in whatever film he's in, but. I mean, Murphy's an interesting character, of course, because, I mean, let's face it, he's got probably got partially diagnosed PTSD and shouldn't even be flying. You know, he checks his sanity with a wristwatch. So he's an interesting character as well. I mean, by all means, do reflect on 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 the Encino scene, if you wish. But but also, you know, give us your give us your views on what Murphy is a product of Vietnam and the Viet there's a Vietnam subplot going through this on, in terms of his relationship with 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 Malcolm McDowell or Malcolm McDowell's character uh, Cochrane, um, and, and so tell us a little bit about the kind of makeup of character that we have. I don't think we see characters like him too much these days either. Again, troubled. Um, I mean, charismatic, but again, ambiguous. I think that may not be more about um, the type of characters that are written, probably by who's playing them as well. I think. And I think that's what happened in the 80s and the 90s. And this isn't to, to denigrate people like um, Sylvester Stallone, fine actor, and, and, or, or, or Bruce Willis. But you will start getting people like Jean-Claude Van Damme and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in to be playing these roles in the films that, 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 that follow throughout the decade. In the early 80s, you didn't get those, those type of people. You, if you did, they wouldn't have cinematic releases. They'd go out straight to telly or like be, be on, on, the, on video or on cable channels. So I think that's what you get when you get an actor of the type of, uh, of, of, you know, of, of, of the gravitas that, 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 that Roy Scheider brings because you know, he brings something different to, to Jaws. He, he, he's a complicated character in that film. Um, and... Uh, and in French Connection, he's amazing in that. As, as basically as just just the sidekick. I think yeah. If we go, if if we are talking about about the 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 ogre scene, the, the the where it really lets itself down, and and what I thought was coming on this viewing because I haven't seen this film in at least thirty years, and I I thought it was perhaps something that I missed in in my youthful exuberance uh, when I was watching it as a teenager. Uh, uh, but I thought what would what I would get from it this time was the fact that um, it was a decoy. Um, the reason they knew about it was because they wanted the helicopter taken away from the area where the attack was going to happen. And 
and and while that that makes sense in in the, in the narrative and the storytelling, it it doesn't come across. It uh, there there is no no sort of confirmation of that fact. And if if they, if it has got the threat that yes, of course we were pulled away from there so that that they could go and basically attack 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 this woman and uh, and. And then it makes sense. Then it's no longer gratuitous. Then it's actually, well, it is gratuitous because let's face it, you don't have to basically go into that much detail in, into the scene if it's just a diversion. Um, but it's a very successful diversion anyway. When you've got an actor like that, you can have a morally diverse person there. And you see that in, in people like, like Riggs who would come on five years later. Um, someone who is troubled, who's got PTSD, and of course, Riggs' Riggs's character is built on on what 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 Murphy is here, um, and I'm sure it, it's a bit more developed. Yeah, there's been a slew of, of Vietnam films in the meantime between between Lethal Weapon and this one, um, and and it's a recurring theme in the '80s, just as everyone's getting really to grips with with the problems that that, that veterans are having. He brings across that this is a character that has a lot of problems, and and really the, you know, acting like, well, especially the, the the problems we've seen in 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 London at the moment with um, uh, investigations into the Metropolitan Police uh, as they are, um, you can't you, you can't look at this film and think that you know if you had a high tech tech um, um, helicopter as Gary was saying that they wouldn't be doing this because you, you, we, we see it even now with the fact that in the real world this stuff goes on and it's accepted well you you mentioning you know the, the whole Vietnam War thing and as a pilot it, I, I find it incredible now when I when I watch uh, I look back and think okay Firefox and Blue Thunder came out really close to each other yeah. and it's about two pilots with um, Vietnam PTSD uh, you know, both has an effect on you know the the mission that they're on, and it, you know it really was a thing of its time. Uh, you know, I think uh, we've seen it in other movies. Uh, yes, Riggs in uh, in Lethal Weapon, also with the Vietnam background. I mean, there's loads of it. A team Vietnam background, all this kind of uh, all that kind of thing. But so specifically, pilots with the same thing, mm. in fact, affected in the same way. So it really was a thing of its time. Yeah, it's great to think, Gary. Is this this? Is, have we been given an unwitting sort of like um, snapshot of of an era of American history where where you had men with no small amount of authority and power who were effectively undiagnosed, you know, trauma victims and and carrying around with them PTSD, uh, and 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 is that it, it? It you know that in itself is both troubling and at the same time quite interesting and unintentional of this movie, it probably should be said. Yeah, I, I mean, it, again, when we talk about films as as, um, as sort of products of their time, yes, there's some, some sort of slightly icky stuff, but absolutely as well. Like, I, I can't imagine, you know, today you watch it and, yes, you can kind of tick off you know, troubled, troubled, um, sort of not quite anti-hero who, who sits in the middle who, uh, of it. And today, I think actually his character would make a great um, sort of character for a long-running slow-burn TV series as well. Um, you know, he's very much less less in terms of the big screen, but in terms of the small screen, I think you could spend a lot of time building him up. And those <clears throat> those anti-heroes. Um, 
those troubled heroes in that in the small screen uh, are now very much kind of well established. Um, but yeah, going back to to the eighties as well. I, I mean, I I'm obviously way too young to really have any kind of con- consciousness of what went on um, for sort of adults in the eighties. But I can well imagine that you know, certainly in America as well, you have got this really unexplored element of trauma, which which wasn't talked about. You've then got sort of pent up masculinity as well. And they're going really different ways. And, and obviously you see in Lethal Weapon in, in Riggs's his case, he is quite certifiably, you know, right on the edge and, and plays it very much as, as you would have expect a, a man on the edge to be. But then there's the other side of it, that there's that kind of locked up, um, button down, do not talk about it, which also I think kind of comes back, you know, stretches right back to, to World War II. I, you, you will get a few characters post-World War II who, you know, obviously saw some really horrific things. And and that's kind of, that, that follows a little bit into probably more the 70s than the 60s, um, I'd say, in, in a lot of the films within there. But it wasn't necessarily explicitly addressed. But obviously... Vietnam was such a, a kind of huge scar on the psyche and bringing that in and you look at, at, at a film like Blue Thunder today and you look at how it kind of explores masculinity and you can see that with Murphy and, and Lim Good as well that um, you know you've got the older person who, who is really scarred by what they've seen and the younger person who actually probably is very accurate and almost still accurate I would say kind of 20-30 years later of, of essentially guy who comes across as a nice guy probably a small town guy who's probably been to a frat house somewhere and yes you can absolutely expect this character to still be a be around today Roy uh, Murphy I don't know I think you you'd certainly get a slightly deeper deeper talk and that that man would have almost certainly got more more help today so it's a really yeah it's a really fascinating microcosm I think of almost where American masculinity is um, in in this period in time. Yeah, I think I, I think you, you, there's, a, there's a key word you mentioned there, frat house there, and and you mentioned Animal House. I think I know oh, Porky's, didn't you? you? You mentioned Porky's earlier, and it is that frat house humour that is the recurring theme of going back to, to to the sexual themes like the yoga, the the incredibly large bust that they zoom in on, uh, and, and 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 basically any bit of object objectification in this film uh, but I, I think as well this is this is of its time and it's not we stop doing this because of the, of our sen- sensibilities um now dano dano bannon uh, also wrote the uh, screenplay to total recall and one of the most famous things that that that's that's the one with the with the three boobed woman in it isn't it it is indeed yeah so these are the, this is a very similar thing we see i mean there's usually in all the 80s films that uh, uh, action films there's usually a bit of boob about 10 15 minutes in there's not someone doing yoga completely naked but there's usually a bit of boob there's usually a bit of something to make it worthwhile on hitting the pause button or or the rewind i think it was actually deliberate ploy by the video uh, shops you know or or the films just just to make 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 the videos not last so, so long because everyone was running them back and forward all the time and those vhs's did not last that very long that back then um but it, it is that court sort of sort of frat house humor. It's 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 sort of police academy level of humor, isn't it? It's it's Benny Hill if you're if you're British. 
Um, and, and I think it, I don't think it died off because of any public outrage. I think it just simply died off because because basically the 90s came along, the internet came along, and everyone had free access to to, to hardcore pornography, so didn't have to pause their, their shitty blue blue thunder DVDs just to get their jollies off. <laughs> I don't know what you mean, Graham. I genuinely <laughs> don't know what you mean. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned Dan O'Bannon, um, and and I'll 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 come to him, but we, we, because also we, we need to crack on. I think talk a little bit about you know what this film is about in terms of its plot. But 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 John, some of my one of the things I like a, a lot about this film is the is the dialogue. I think is really really snappy. You know, I I pinched some of it for for, for my intro. Um, I've got I I. I I, and a lot of it, in fairness, is because of the way that actors deliver it, particularly uh, Warren Oates, but uh, uh, who I thought oh, I thought was a brilliant character. I loved Braddock in this. I thought Warren Oates was amazing in this in this film. But Dan O'Bannon, of course, you know, I mean, he's a writer of considerable substance. Uh, I mean, he is the I mean, co-wrote Alien. You know, I mean, in this, he has you know, and I think that that one of the film's uh, finer qualities and what perhaps elevates it is the quality of the dialogue. I think you're absolutely right. And you you spoke about Braddock. Amazing, amazing character. I was so reminded of, have you guys ever seen uh, So I Married an Axe Murderer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the, 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 um, the friend uh, who was police officer? And I, I, he would go into it, go in to see his boss, and he says, oh, "Why can't you? Why are you so nice? Why can't you be that kind of boss who chews me out and s- says that you know the commission is going to um, come in from downtown and chew him out and all this kind of stuff?" You, you know, <laughs> the great and Alan Arkin, was isn't that it? guy. Uh, Brad was that. Uh, not only that guy, it was just like he was d- down to a T. So there was the whole thing about, you know, if you're walking on eggs, don't hop. And, um, you know, if I stand up and my ass isn't there, it's because it's been chewed off. Uh, you know, all of these kind of things. It was just absolutely on the money. And so, the, you know, the script writing for, for, for him especially was absolutely fantastic. Of course, there are a few cheesy bits in there as well. The whole catch you later. Um I could have done without that, but um, hey, but there, there's some absolutely fantastic script writing in there. And uh, for me, Braddock is the uh, the pick of the bunch. And uh, and I, I think that for, for other characters as well, I, I think that we've talked about Lyman Good. You, you know, you, you don't get that kind of frat house uh, kind of feeling from a from a guy if the script isn't there. And the script was there for him and he, he pulled it off uh, brilliantly. Yeah, the catchy later, um, I actually weirdly quite like because it is so cheesy, but it's also just so icky. And there's a, a brilliant line of Braddock immediately after it's delivered, which is just like irritating little cocksucker, isn't he? <laughs> and that's just so perfectly done. And But there's also that element as well of the, even that, that kind of slightly cheesy, horrible, sleazy element works perfectly with what McDowell, Malcolm McDowell brings to the character. And and seeing Malcolm McDowell turn up, I was like, oh, 
okay, now this is going to get even more fun. And the, uh, I think his role was actually initially, he was a very late addition. It was meant to be Brian Brown, the Australian actor um, who, who was meant to play that role, which I think, you know, probably would have been a, a decent choice. But McDowell just brings something which is horrific menace that any time he's on screen, he just makes your skin crawl in this film. Like from the minute that he, he steps out of the plane, or sorry, the helicopter, you just, there's something about him that just feels icky. And it's obviously the, the ultra British accent as well in there. And I think like, I, again, I did some research after watching it, but I think um, Roy Scheider um, persuaded John Badham to let him improvise a little bit more, which is where some of more of the film's humour comes from. And I love the reaction of, of McDowell and Scheider as well, that they're just, they play off against each other so well. And famously, I think they got on exceptionally well during filming as well. But there's that bit where he just keeps mocking that British accent afterwards. And there is just genuine antagonism in there. And I got, you know, a couple of scenes that they'd had together. I was like, well, you know, the final showdown is going to be brilliant because these two characters genuinely hate each other. And you don't even need to feel that this has been forced at all. Um, you've got something in there that, that is just so unlikable from the minute he steps on there, but also not totally outlandish. I think it's in a way that only Malcolm McDowell can kind of bring the, the kind of cliched sleaze and, and horrificness of a villain in there, but also somehow keep it grounded in the fact that he doesn't feel so unbelievable that you would just go, yeah, now nah, this, this is, you know, I'm going to totally spend my disbelief as opposed to just suspending a quarter of my disbelief. I totally get your icking, you know, the ickiness of uh, Malcolm McDowell, but I never noticed this when I first watched it when I was, uh, when I was a kid, you start thinking to yourself, what the hell is he doing there? <laughs> what the hell is Malcolm McDowell, the British pilot from Vietnam? What's he doing there? Uh, the, the, he, the, the he wasn't were flying British, in, in, in Vietnam. There were <laughs> British um, uh, uh, pilots in Vietnam. There just weren't very many of them. So yeah, yeah. In that respect, it's like wow. Okay, yeah. they got the one. <laughs> <laughs> also, Malcolm McDowell gives a a very strange parallel. Uh, a very sort of. A, oblique parallel with uh, the aforementioned Firefox um, because uh, one of Alex's uh, Alex's gang from uh, Clockwork Orange was in Firefox and uh, of course that was Warren Clark um, so he was one of the stars of, Fiber, of, of Firefox so that gives you a little parallel there of, between these two films um, there's, a, there's another one the as well superior. Is, is there? Come on, yep, yep. there's another one as well uh, so in, in Firefox as um, as he's making his escape and just about to land on the uh, on the ice pack, uh, there's a couple of helicopters that that take off from the from the uh, Russian ship, and the close up of the cockpit of the helicopters is Blue Thunder. Ooh, yes, that. See, see, we're getting why why we got we we, we got John on here because he's yeah, a massive <laughs> helicopter nerd, isn't he? Yeah, he's also John. I mean, for people who don't know uh, John, his 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 day job is 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 association football, but uh, he is a massive film geek as well. A massive <laughs> film geek. So we're we're giving giving expression to that. We're 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 benefiting that from that too. Shall we talk a bit about the story? Because um, in in so far as the the plot, um, uh, it, it, this. 
there's some substance to this. This is a this is a film. You know, the LAPD did not want their name used in this movie because it was blankly critical of them. Um, it's critical of the U.S. government. Uh, it, it, it's very very clear. Uh, you know, there's a conspiracy to um, to cause trouble in the barrio, as they call it, in the working class uh, districts of Los Angeles, to, to to cause riots and disquiet and discord and violence. Um, in order to justify police forces to purchase uh, military equipment in order to use it against its own citizens. Uh, It's a deeply sinister plot to which they are willing to even murder um, uh, in order to to, to keep it under wraps. And and, and so there's, there's there's a very serious element to it. To an extent, the way Murphy is, the way he is as a person, his ambivalence to everything and his distrust of authority the audience is quite comfortable with the idea that he would not that, that he is appalled by what he is seeing and that something needs to be done. I mean, we at least we know the guy has some kind of sense of justice, and and, and we do we do I think get that and that works. But but I think I think Gary, I don't think the film is really too fussed about what happens here. I think it's using personally that plot to apply a bit of substance and depth to what is essentially a work of entertainment yeah it's i was really struck by it because it is a it, it's so conspiracy laden but also it's it's also a film that probably wouldn't have been out of you know as a plot albeit move on the the technological equipment it wouldn't have been out of out of touch in the 90s or or even today i think you could probably find a way in to make that and it, there's a few elements that it kind of brings to it and i think one of the the things that i'm really enjoying or liking about blue thunder is that you can see the callbacks to some very classic cinema of the past and also see how it's throwing ahead to the future which is probably i don't know if i'm giving the, the producers and john Batman a little do too much credit with it because it essentially was you know entertainment that knocked flash dance off the number one spot in in the u.s so you know how much do you read into it i don't know but when you look back at the at cinema again we, it has that element of cynicism that the 70s had and that the 80s kind of lost in in just to have bringing in the explosions and the bangs and the the, the plain good guys that were in there um it's also other bits and and Terry, I think you kind of mentioned the West. Essentially, this is a Western with helicopters, which again sounds fantastic when you just utter that sentence. But I see a lot of John Wayne in um, Roy Scheider's character um, in there. That very stoic, seen it all, slightly ambiguous as well. Like when he gets in and tests out Blue Thunder for the first time, you can see he's really enjoying it. And in another way, you know, there's this part of you that goes, ooh, you know, he could go, yep, you know what, I'm on board with this. I'm just having, you know, I'm fine. I've, I've seen it all. I don't have that that kind of, you know, my morals are here, but you know what, fine. This is my job and I'll, I'll get and do it. Um, again, I, I think I've mentioned this a few times on action movie landfill but i keep coming back to well probably one of the best films that's been made in american cinema which is the searchers um and john wayne's character in the searchers which is just you know this you see how much that's influenced a lot of these type of characters all the way through and i can totally see elements of that that he could go one way or the other 
all the way through the film if he really wanted to. And I could certainly see how earlier drafts ended up with him going on a, on a complete massacre, which would not have been entertaining. You could also quite easily see that, yeah, he's antagonistic. He probably would have offed, um, off Malcolm McDowell's character no matter what. But you could also see him go, well, fine, it's a job to do and I'll, I'll fly it. Obviously, the kind of strong morals keep comes through and comes through even further. Um, but yeah, there, there's points in there where you gen, genuinely go, they could have written this character in a totally different way. And it's very similar to The Searchers where you don't know what John Wayne's character is going to do until really the very last, last reel in there because there's so much depth but it's not really conveyed with anything other than stoicism. It's, it's, yeah, it's a really, it's a really fascinating way of how it brings in some of these brilliant films from the past and, and feels like there's, you know, I think it probably did have some kind of information from, you know, films like the French connection films, like the searches, you can see that DNA that, that comes into blue thunder. Murphy's uh, stoicism, I suppose. And also his, uh, his inability to properly manage his emotions is, is is very apparent in his relationship with his girlfriend, isn't it? This this on-off relationship that he appears to have with his girlfriend Kate, who is, in my opinion, wonderfully played by Candy Clark, who wasn't in enough stuff, in my opinion, and of course plays a, a fairly significant role in 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 the film because you've got a you've got a sad, sadly curtailed um, but nevertheless very entertaining car chase. Uh, going on in, the, in, in running alongside the, the, the climax of that of that movie, I, mean, I, I felt that. I mean, I think you can always have to be a little bit careful when you have uh, a girlfriend and and kids, and that that can get pretty saccharine pretty quickly. But I, I feel that the movie really just stays on the right side of that. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I mean, I've watched prison dramas that have got more women in them. <laughs> And, and and she's the only one in this film. I think she's the only one with the speaking role. Uh, uh, not, not quite, other, almost, other, other because the, 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 M- 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 who dies, goes, uh, <laughs> says one line before she dies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> McNeely, so, that's, that's what it was, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, yeah, it is... Um, yeah, she is brilliant. It, it's a sort of... Um, she is that sort of troubled uh, character, but very 70s character. You know, if this had been made five years earlier, you might have seen Sissy Spacek in it. If it had been made 10 years earlier, you might have had Terry Gar in there. But in the, in, uh, but yeah, it, it's that sort of character. And that, but I think we, we, we immediately warm to, to, to people like that. We, we, we grew up with the mum in Poltergeist, for instance. And uh, yeah, we, we all warmed to her, didn't we? Um, and yes, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, she's brilliant in this, and and she gives uh, a a level of of light relief, um, uh, a bit like um, Morta, uh, uh, Danny Glover's wife in um, in Lethal Weapon. She 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 grounds everyone in in certain respects because everyone's all high tech. I'm getting a helicopter. I'm going to shoot up some bad guys. And then like, she's got, look, I've, I'm carrying my kid around. And, uh, oh, but by the way, I'm just driving the wrong way down on my street because, you know, it, it, she's obviously got her own problems. Um, but yeah, we don't delve deep into those. We just assume that we know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she, she she's a single mom. Of course she's got problems. 
Um, a beautiful is, foreshadowing that she's going to have to do it later on in the movie as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, not in any way. Yeah, very, very subtle. I thought very, Sign very posted, subtle. Yeah, 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 just yeah, about yeah. enough. Yeah, subtlety in just that. To, about, just, you know, just to think. Yeah, yeah. She, she's got the skills, guys. Don't worry. She, she's got the skills. Okay. <laughs> oh, that makes it all makes sense yeah, now, yeah. guys. Yeah, Roy Scheider. <laughs> Roy Scheider trusts her so much. He'll even sit in the back seat while she's driving. That's how much he trusts her behind the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, yeah. There is there is lots of things. Uh, in, um, interesting, you, you talk about the the French connection. We've, we've come back on this, and this is another seventies throwback as well. Another Gene Hackman throwback. The conversation as well. That's another thing in this mm. film. Um, the whole surveillance mm. culture. The whole this this is. There's a lot that's informed by Nixon, isn't there? In the in in this film, what I love about this film is that that it this is. A lot of the action films that we that we're going to talk about on the action movie landfill, a lot of the big ones that we think about, they're all late stage Reagan. This is this was made in eighty one. This is like one year into Reagan. I mean, this is this is only the forty years ago, and it's talking about um, you know defunding the police. This whole thing of the like was was being talked about back then. The fact that there is only one good speaking part for a woman in this part is of its time it's very much going back to um action movie roots it's going back to westerns it's going back to war films where of course there were there were no 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 women around because it's lonely out on the on those prairies and it's lonely out on those fields in france um but yeah, it, it, it's that sort of feel, and it's this. This is what the people are, are writing an action film that is that could be. I mean, well, Dan O'Bannon like cut his teeth writing stuff in space, so. It, it, but it is that sort of like men without women feel about the whole thing, and yet you know, all of a sudden a woman turns up carrying a kid, she got <laughs> and held up to, 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 to gunpoint by her frankly needs help boyfriend. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, she adds something. She really does ground this film, um, not very stably, but she does. Um, but she's a really important character, and and she makes the film a hell of a lot better just for being there. Things that that I think is really interesting as well, and I, I suspect a lot of the people who went to the cinema to see Blue Thunder probably weren't the same people who went to see uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth. But she's in that as well. <laughs> yeah, and, um, and actually, there's a weird, uh, there's a lot of parallels between her character and that you've got some. She's basically grounding uh, somebody who is completely off in another planet. Literally, in David Bowie's case, in in the man who fell to earth in there. But again, there's, there's elements of that that she brings in, and I can see how that might have informed her character in the way that she was written. And the more I think about Blue Thunder as well, when I talk about we talk about a lot of these films that it's referenced, you know, some real sort of classic films from the 70s, which uh, were not then sort of, you know, not certainly in vogue necessarily in the in the 80s. It really feels like Blue Thunder's that that kind of gateway where the 70s, you can see where the 70s is ending and where the 80s is probably going to go to in this film. Definitely. But um, it, it combines both of them really, really well because it's got it's got helicopter chases through L.A. I can't stress this enough, people. It's got helicopter chases <laughs> in L.A. But then it's got everything that you could you could lift a lot of this out and you could put it into a 1970s 
um, film from Coppola, you know, from Scorsese. There's so much of that that could sit in there. And, and yeah, it's it's that kind of point where you can almost see the lines crossing, as you said, Graham, with like, you know, with early Reagan. And you can see that early Reaganism has come in there. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. It, it's at that crossover point. And uh, we, we come back to the sort of the, the techno drama, the surveillance state, the mistrust of, of, of that particular era. And for me, uh, it came uh, it came to me in full focus when I was searching for the film. But, I mean, the audience don't know this. You guys know this. I live in Germany. So I, I looked it up and the German title came up. So it wasn't Blauer Donner, which would be uh, Blue Thunder translated. It was uh, Das Fliegende Auge, The Flying Eye. Ooh. Ooh. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. How about that? How about that? I mean, Germany does this a lot. Uh, I'll just tell you my personal favorite uh, translated uh, title uh, for Murder, She Wrote. Murder is her hobby. Murder is her hobby. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a little aside. Uh, but Das Fliegende Auge, The Flying Eye, it, I mean, it's it, it's possibly even better than Blue Thunder. Um, but it is of that time, because we don't need to go very many years afterwards. And then we're getting into Top Gun territory. And that was, you know, essentially a recruitment call uh, high concept film recruitment call for the US military. So you get into Iron Eagle as well around that time. So it, we are at, at, at that kind of point. And also very interesting, the, the, the comparisons with, you know, a John Wayne character, a, a, a Western character. I see Murphy as essentially just the different side of the same coin of, of the people he's up against. Because yes, he has moral compass, but he makes some very immoral decisions. He, you know, he he's there. He he knows that it's not right what they're doing, but he will do anything in his power to stop them. And he doesn't care who gets hurt in that process. Yeah, we'll allow them to blow up a chicken shack. We'll allow them to to blow up a skyscraper. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, he would have gone to prison for years for the decisions that he made. In this film, because, you know, he he had that kind of same kind of mental, uh, you know, mental attitude as the people he was uh, up against, essentially. Uh, John, 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 all this film is short of is of him being locked in a garage somewhere and him coming out in a tank that fires cabbages. The, the whole violence in this film is entirely yeah. 18. It it is it it is pure eighteen violence. The the fact that you see all the people working in the barbecue shop running out because as soon as they hear the helicopter, they know we've got to run out of this because a heat seeking missile is gonna come and blow this up. <laughs> well I mean to be fair Yes. I mean, to be fair, Murphy does makes it. He, he doesn't. He does. He, he switches off his whisper mode, and he <laughs> he, he, he parks that helicopter right above it. So I oh, mean, it, you know, they, you know, pretty much making it clear you need to get out of here because you know that, that you're gonna. It's so. So you know, I mean, I I, I do. I get what you're saying. I get. He's got I think speakers right. on that thing as well. He could he, shout, "Get, get out, out of there!" That's true. That's true. That's very true. I mean, it, I think you're right. There's a certain degree of like, you know, this is more about transfer of power. This is more like Tories versus centrists isn't it really it's not a you know it, it, it murphy is not a revolutionary you're right he's a cop 
Yeah. He's a cop, basically. He's just a cop who's just he's just a nice cop. And 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 that's where he's going. What, what, what I'm going to uh, suggest uh, is um, is that um, the, the one thing I think where the film does date well, one of the number of things. But in terms of the of the story, what, what dates is <laughs> the idea is that the that, uh, that a mainstream broadcast journalist would take that story and then just run with it. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that that would happen now. To be perfectly uh, one of the many plot holes. <laughs> I mean, as a, as a plot, it's just so amazingly flawed. I mean, <laughs> it just it just gets to the fact that, that it takes us half an hour before we see the helicopter. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, there's a bit of build up of yeah, yeah I know, yeah. but it's amazing right. that it takes half an hour before we see Blue, Blue Thunder, right? I uh, know that's just because you know you you you're just you just got a hard on for, uh, for, okay. for, 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 for chunky helicopters. I mean but that's it, not but helpful. It, but Can't blame the film for that. Very very ambiguous. The whole the whole conspiracy thing is it's not very specific, and and the whole plot. I mean. It's possible to tear this thing absolutely apart because he's just going. Why the hell did they? Why the hell did they choose Murphy? Hmm. Why? Well, why yeah, well. he was going to be ground? I mean, he was grounded. He was uh, going to be going under a psychological uh, appraisal. He's got Lyman Good. He's a brand new observer. And they wait. Ah, oh, yeah, no worries. We'll, we'll no. put you in the five million dollar um, experimental uh, thing. You know, PSD man, go for it. Now, John, John, what you don't realise is the whole hour and 49 minutes of the film happens within the 25 seconds when he starts his his watch and stops it again. (laughs) And who wanted that watch? That watch is amazing. I love it. (laughs) See, it's it's a whole dream sequence. This is is how we explain every action film. Uh, And and it starts right there, actually, the whole problem. Because Lyman Good comes in... And he says to him, "What oh, are yeah, you doing?" They're mates, aren't they? And then they go, and then they go out, and then he's going, "Oh, who's my observer?" And then Lyman Good comes out from behind and goes, "It's me, the guy you've just met." Uh, see, but see, I'm but gonna, now, I'm do- so, sorry, now, so, sorry, sorry, but now I'm I'm going to say say that 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 actually what this film is is missing is a full um, uh, uh, L.A. noir voiceover. A la, a la, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> LA Confidential, a, a, a la uh, Blade Runner. But what it needs is is Daniel Stern doing the voiceover in full Wonder Year style. And Roy Scheider just looking at, at the screen sort of wistfully like, as he's flying over and say, wait, what? Did he really say that? <laughs> <laughs> That's well, we who it some... should have been, but... <laughs> We do get some interesting expositionary dialogue through the through the through, through the journalist, don't we? On on the, the TV journalist as well, which is which is which is helpful. Mario Mercado at the very end of the film as well, yeah. which is which is great, and that's a nice touch. There's echoes of RoboCop in that, of course. Well, because he was in it, reasons. yeah. Because he's because yeah. he's in it, and that's possibly where I'm getting that kind of that dystopian echo from the, from this movie as well. Well, the, the fact that he's also called Murphy as well. Um, the fact that he's basically flying around in Ed 209, the fact that it's all a cons- conspiracy theory th- uh, thing as well, and the fact that it's got lo- a load of boobs in it as well. If, if Paul Verhoeven must have sat down this, uh, watched this film and thought, I'm going to make every film like this. <laughs> as soon as I make a perfect copy of this film, I'll be happy. And he never was. He never was. He can mm, never, never, never get that close. 
Paul Verhoeven's VHS must have really, really been knackered out. <laughs> Paul, Verhoeven, Paul, Paul, Paul Verhoeven didn't need to constantly rewind Blue Thunder. I reckon that guy knew how to get hold of some porn. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> oh, Mario Mikado, by the way, as well. I'm pretty sure of this has has one of one, one of the best lines in 70s films as well because i think he's in he's in rocky three uh and he's the one who asks um uh clubber lang for predictions for the fight is that him is it yeah i'm pretty sure that's him well you got you got a prediction for the fight pain <laughs> I would have just been curious to see how this film would have been handled in the hands of Bruckheimer Scott Bay a few years later. Can you imagine this oh, film? Dog shit. Under, under the, and now it might not necessarily have been for the better, but my gosh, LA would not have been standing by the end of that. No, no, no. Gary, it's there. Running Man. He, the, 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 the 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 butcher of Bakersfield. This is this is what 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 happened to 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 Blue Thunder. This is this is what it would have been like had it come out ten years later. It wouldn't have just been in the gritty parts of L.A. It would have been going off somewhere. It was like, oh, I've got to go and find that footage, you know, and like, uh, yeah, <laughs> and then and then release it. Actually, Running Man really does it. Apart from all the stuff, you know, when on the game show, everything else, yeah, spot on, isn't it? Yeah, no, that, that, that's very true. I mean, Blue Thunder does, of course, have a direct legacy um, in the form of a, of, of a very, very, very bad television show, which uh, takes all the messages from the movie and ignores them. And it goes, no, actually, you know, surveillance, highly armed surveillance helicopters flying above our streets is a good thing. And we're going to get um, James Gandolfini involved to, to tell us all about it. And it did lasted six episodes. I watched them all. They were terrible, absolutely awful. Um, but nevertheless, it did it, it it did spawn this this show. But arguably, of course, its real television legacy is in Stringfellow Hawk and Airwolf, which I think I mean I think it's that's the kind of TV show that doesn't bear rewatching. I think it's. I think it's safer preserved in your childhood memories with its catchy theme tune um, and, and the moody Jan Michael Vincent. Yeah, is that right? It is Jan Michael Vincent, isn't it, who's in yeah. Stringfellow Hawk? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and Ernest Borgner. And it all preserved that memory because it's, it's, you know, it's probably not actually that good because most 80s TV is garbage. Well, yeah, but the, yeah. the one thing that you should watch is the is the one thing that we both watched, Terry, and that is the YouTube clip of uh, Airwolf versus Blue Thunder. Yes, which is amazing. Yes, just the footage for, from from both cut together for for, for an aerial uh, an aerial battle. Uh, uh, well, this this also comes out at the same time as Knight Rider as well, and it, it, the fact that he drives a '79 uh, Trans Am Pontiac as well is uh, a, 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 that can't be lost on anyone, can it? Really, and the the, the, the hints of Knight Rider here. No, definitely. I mean, I, I, I would also I, I feel you know it would I, it's on brand for me at this point just to also to refer to the music 
Uh, just also yes. to add to that techno thriller, of course, because it is. I mean, they use electronic score soundtracks in in movies, of course, prior to this, loads of them, loads and loads and loads of them. But the 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 your, your bigger blockbuster movies did tend to lean towards, you know, they'd like check Jerry Goldsmith's roller decks. Is he free? Yes, he's free. Right, get him in and and, and get him to do that. But they went a different direction. They went with a with a Arthur B. Rubinstein who did an electronic score, which I love. I absolutely love this score. Um, I literally went to Australia to buy a copy of this score because you couldn't get it in the UK. Wow. I was, I mean, I didn't deliberately go all the way just to buy it. I, I have family in Australia. I went to Australia and I went and I found it and I bought it and I brought it home with me. Um, my friend Chris, who I got into this movie with, I went to see this film um, with Chris and his dad um, at the cinema when it came out. He that was an awkward watch, wasn't that watch, wasn't it? Not for about Vince. twenty minutes in. Not really. <laughs> no, no. You, you didn't know Vince. He sold. He sold second-hand cars. Uh, I. I knew Vince, and uh, th- th- this is not something he would have had a problem with. No, okay. He, he, that, no, he didn't have a problem with that. Um, so, so, um, so, Chris loved it so much that when when we got our VHS copy of it, which I should qualify the fact that really this movie came out on rental first before sell-through, so we had to rent it and then pirate it in order to do it. And Chris would take. The, the music from from just playing it back you know with his with his cassette player and then just like because we couldn't get hold of the of, of, of the score um it is fantastic uh, and i think it, and, and for me it, it, it lifts this film uh, i mean I, I i suppose i probably am a bit disappointed that that i've seen this film after so many years and it's not as good as I as I I don't didn't enjoy it as much as I had done when I was considerably younger. Um, but but I have certainly enjoyed talking this through with these guys. And I'm getting the feeling that, you know, if you would if this was a scale, then we'd be in the. Yeah, this is this. This is an enjoyable film as opposed to no, this film was really, really difficult. I didn't enjoy it at all. And please don't select movies like this again in the future. Uh, am I right on that? What are we, what are we thinking here, Chaz? Uh, I'm, I'm very pleased that, that you that you chose this one, Terry. Uh, it was great to revisit it after all these years. I'm not sure I'll be watching it again that <laughs> soon. Um, but no, it was it was good to watch it and, and good to be reminded of, of, of it. I think for its many, 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 many flaws, it's a very enjoyable film. It doesn't really know what it is. You know, is it a, a helicopter movie? Is it the deep state uh, technodrama? Is it the, um, you know, Vietnam of, uh, veteran with PTSD? It doesn't really know what it is. But what it is, is enjoyable. And I think that what you get from the pacing of the film is that, you know, I mentioned that the fact that we don't see Blue Thunder for the for the first thirty minutes, but you also rightly pointed out it didn't really have that much of a, you know you didn't have that much of a problem with it. You know the pacing is very very good in this film as well. Um, I find so it, it's a it's definitely an enjoyable watch. Just try and ignore all the other bits that you know don't quite make sense. <laughs> I I genuinely genuinely enjoyed it. I I, I think kind of. Yeah, half an hour in, I was, I was on the fence, but um, you know, and I I watched this film, and I, I as I watch a lot of films, um, in a, doing something mundane, which in this case is ironing, and I I nearly burnt through a shirt at one point because I was actually genuinely quite sort of hooked into it, and you know, a film like um, you know, 
the film probably like uh, Die Another Day, shall we say, the last podcast we did. That is almost certainly an entire wardrobe, whereas this was just a few shirts once I really got into it. So, no, I, I enjoyed it. And also, I'll just leave it with the helicopter duel in L.A. I mean, amazing. <laughs> even if even if you dislike the entirety of everything else and you've sat through it going, this isn't very good. I defy anybody not to go, oh, that was brilliant. That was brilliant film work, brilliant. Just the models that they used in the, everything about it was absolutely fantastic. Even if you've listened to this and gone, you know what? I really don't fancy watching the whole of Blue Thunder. Just fast forward it to the end and watch the, the last kind of half an hour and just, yeah, the, the whole sequence in L.A., when it gets into that, I was completely hooked. It's a fantastic, it's a fantastically directed, wonderful piece of action. Plot, mm, yeah, maybe a bit iffy. The, the, the kind of, some of the elements are, are definitely very icky. But Helicopter Jewel in L.A., I, I'm not sure I'm going to see something that's been quite that fun for a long time. Yeah, I mean you might have to suspend disbelief with some of the sort of like artistic shortcuts they make during the action sequences. But, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I'm still not certain it's possible to loop a, a, a helicopter. Um, oh, it is. I, yeah, I, it's it's is. certainly not it one with a, mass, with a massive machine gun on its nose. But, oh, well, yeah, maybe probably, not that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but obviously that, that comes up in the, you know, uh, Cochrane mentions that, you know, this is just not possible. It's impossible. Yeah, that's impossible. Um, of course, I had a, you know I looked it up and supposedly it is possible, but uh, but yeah, absolutely right. And uh, in in the movie because you know putting that gun and all the uh, other paraphernalia on there, it was a bit too heavy at the front, so they had to you know put counterweight balances in the helicopter to balance it out. Absolutely, yeah. No, it's a fantastic uh, uh, final 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 sequence. It's, it's it's really enjoyable. It's a, it's a, it's the right length as well. And it's tremendous fun. And yeah, the chicken shack is just very, very funny. And I remember that to this day. I remember being in pictures and when I watched it in the cinema and everybody just weed their pants laughing. It was very, very funny and it landed really, really well. Uh, and, and I think in general, this film did land very well at the time. As I said, it was a huge box office success, made a lot of money for people. Um, and and but but yeah, like a, like a lot of movies of its time, they don't. It doesn't always necessarily resonate. Although, as you pointed out, as we went in our discussions, there's elements within this film that have been carried on into other movies, um, and, and and they can look to that film and say, well, we've probably got pretty much the idea from here. Is it an original? No, but it certainly, I think, is like created cre- created a, a, a templates. Um, for uh, for uh, future filmmakers to, to to build upon and create also very very exciting movies uh, to watch and and I think that that is legacy enough for this movie and it, it's it got on the action movie landfill and that in itself is legacy. You know the enough. the one thing that we didn't uh, talk about and this is a really important thing about this film that does make it very enjoyable that the, the reason that the conspirators got tripped up is because of the technology that they uh, that they created. Hoisted oh, by their own, you know that, that you know that was yeah hoisted by their own petard, and hovering outside that window so they could another great line from the film, as uh, Cochrane uh, pulls back the curtains and uh, <laughs> uh, Murphy just goes, "Oh, you know, we're in deep shit," <laughs> before they fly <laughs> off. <laughs> Indeed, and I think on that note, I think we might bring things to a close. 
Now, obviously, you know, I would uh, just say goodbye and then we'll, we'll we'll leave you in peace. But, you know, we do have some business to attend to before we finish this episode of the Action Movie Landfill. And that is, is the role and the honour of the of, of the next host to choose the, the movie that, that we will be watching for the next episode. So I'm going to hand over to Gary Andrews, who's going to uh, explain all. Yeah, well, I given that Blue Thunder is very much almost at the start of the action movie landfill, you know, we, we, we actually had, I would say, fairly serious, in-depth discussions on the WhatsApp group as to does this qualify as action movie landfill? And I think we said, yes, it does, because it foreshows a lot of what comes in. So I, I'm going right to the other end and almost kind of stretching the point where we will cut off action movie landfill. And I think it's a good way to, to cut off. And I'm choosing um, Shane Black's directorial debut, uh, Shane Black of, of Lethal Weapon writing fame, um, the Robert Downey Jr. and uh, Val Kilmer starring Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, which I don't believe either Terry or Graham have seen. So this should be quite interesting. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember coming out of the cinema and going, that was a fantastic film. And, you know, Obviously, I love Lethal Weapon. Um, obviously, you know, you, you will see a lot of Lethal Weapon in this. I won't spoil it too much. But it's also, I think, uh, again, we will discuss this on the pod, but I think you will see how Robert Downey Jr. off the back of this ended up becoming a Marvel superhero as well. So there's lots to enjoy. I, I'm genuinely excited to see what um, what you both think of it as well. Uh, and also, there's not enough Val Kilmer in films these days at all, which is uh, another reason for me going in there because uh, yeah it, there's a criminal lack of Val throughout the uh, throughout cinematic history and I think we need more Val Kilmer and I'm not going to sit around and discuss Top Gun so let's go with this one instead mm, you might want to give the saint a wide berth as well while you're at it um, yeah. that will not be appearing on this podcast that's buried deep come out of Oh, that's the bad film that is. Gosh. That's not yeah. the purpose of the of the landfill. The landfill is to dig not. up stuff that shouldn't be buried. There's plenty of stuff Indeed. here that we're not going to disturb. There's plenty of stuff here that that, that, that we'll we'll just leave that. It's, it may be sitting on the top, but we'll just leave that there. Leave that there. But oh, oh no, no, this looks interesting. Maybe next time. Yeah, yeah. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Yeah, yeah. I oh, see. I thought our our first. Um, Robert Downey Jr. experience on this one would be uh, Air America, but I'm I'm happy enough to go with uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I think this one is going to be a good, going to be a, a good discussion. You're, you're yeah. pushing my buttons there with the with, with the aircraft geekery with uh, Air America. <laughs> Another yeah, one. I love. We've done Conair. We've done. We've we've got it. We've got, we've got to let, uh, let let it lie a bit before we, Air America will be coming on here. I'm sure it will. Sure, not in my next choice, which would be the next one, but hey, I'm, I'm looking forward to Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah, as am I, because I have never seen it, and I, it's an opportunity to watch an action film that I've not seen, and I'm always there for that. I'm really looking forward to that. So, thank you very much for that choice, Gary. Um, and uh, thank you also to John Hartley for being our first guest and for being a splendid guest and a good sport, as they say in broadcasting world. Uh, thanks very much for, for, for being on the show. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and I'll sign off in the only way possible. Catch you later. Catch you later, indeed. Thanks very much to you, Graham, and thanks again to, to Gary for your for your uh, well, participation on the landfill. Uh, it's Thank been you. a pleasure, as always. Pleasure. So uh, we will be back 
um, with 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 I was I went and said Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, didn't I? Okay, I'm giving away the old James Bond bias there. It's got to be said, but let us not forget that this is a James Bond podcast, and the Odger Pod will return with an episode dedicated to Casino Royale. I'm thinking. Ooh. Are we doing Casino Royale, or did we say we were going to do something an well, we are now. something in the middle? No, we, we are going to do Casino Royale. It's happening. We hope you enjoyed our Die Another Day experience uh, last time round. That went on for about an hour and a half, so you better would have enjoyed it. We, so we'll be back to discuss Casino Royale. Maybe we won't take an hour and a half. This film, after all, is quite good. So we haven't got quite so many issues to work through. Um, but nevertheless, it is a film of considerable substance and we're really looking forward to discussing it. And we are hoping that you will enjoy it too. So from me, Terry DeFellon. From Gary Andrews, from Graham Sibley, and from our special guest, John Hartley, it's goodbye. 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 That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs>